This is the William Holland Radio Program here, live from Connecticut. If you want to take a look at uh, Henry Kissinger's work, his thought, his life, and it isn't a complete waste of time, but you have to be very careful about who you pick up. Walter Isaacson is just an outstanding biographer. Um, I, I, I have all of his work. The man... Whatever he puts on paper is worth reading. His biography of Henry Kissinger is a masterful. It's 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 totally worth the forty bucks hardcover. Look, uh, America and China don't have to live learn to live together. The boys in Beijing have to learn to understand. They have to learn how they're going to manage themselves as they become weaker and therefore more volatile. And that means that uh, America and its leadership has to promote a very strong hand. Because just like the guys in the Middle East, um, the boys in Beijing are realists and they only really respect power. Let's ask ourselves something. Is Kissinger correct? I think he is. Is he correct to articulate a growing antagonism between two regimes that are irreconcilable? I think he's correct on that. And the reason for it is the nature of the regime in Beijing will continue to demonstrate how insecure it is. Because the boys in Beijing are a rump. The concept of sovereignty in China is not at all identifiable with anything in the West. When Mao Zedong marched his communist clique and they defeated okay, uh, the nationalist forces out of Taiwan under Chiang Kai-shek, when they defeated them, the Chinese people were never asked to vote in. The Chinese people basically didn't matter. The Chinese people were continued to be cannon fodder for the boys in Beijing. It is a rump that has arrogated to itself that it's going to run China. That means something uh, very valuable because even if you go back to Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan understood just how fragile – the social and the political base of the communist leadership was, and he exposed it all the time. The only way to get the realists, whether it's the Ayatollah or the boys in Beijing, if you want your your phone calls <laughs> returned, then you've got to be strong. You've got to be vicious. And really, you've got to have an attitude basically where you don't give a damn. That This is something that Kissinger barely, barely talks about when he talks about the nature of alliances. And it is probably Henry Kissinger's strongest point is if you're going to deal with China, you have to deal with China with uh, basically uh, continuously evidencing strength. And you've got to have a, a very strong alliance management toolkit now. Let me just stop right here. Fighting a war is pretty straightforward, but fighting a war with alliances is infinitely harder than just taking on, uh, through conventional means really, taking on a competitor. Because each 
every single member of the American-led alliance is there for different reasons, and they all have different thresholds. And ultimately, it is the domestic and the political uh, base of of that dominates an alliance. And so if you're out of the White House, you have continuously shifting priorities. On top of that, you have a you have an alliance against China throughout the South Pacific and throughout the East China Sea, but all of those alliances have different political and different thresholds. And and that has to be managed. So the nature of alliances is more dangerous and more fraught than conventional warfare is. So Kissinger is correct on that. He's also correct about the technological basis of warfare and that countries lack any settled principle on which they can establish order. Establishing order after the Second World War was very well, I wouldn't say it was easy, but the foundational base was easy because all of the nation states that transversed either the Mediterranean or the Atlantic shared a Christian-based culture. So the concept of sovereignty and the concept of alliance management was relatively straightforward. It, too, was fraught. That order, the theological and the cultural base of symmetry— that constitutes geopolitical order at the international scene does not exist in Asia. It's very hard to, to get Japanese, South Koreans, and the Philippines uh, to work with India taking on Beijing. And so you have basically a very, very fraught Alliance Foundation, and it's something that Kissinger is very good at, uh, at at dealing with. But hard-headed diplomacy can really ideally be fortified, as he's talked about, by shared values. And I think um, the biggest problem with Henry Kissinger is his liberalism, because he, he speaks in a very condescending way about the nature to avoid war. And it is that that the Chinese need to know that the American boys invite and will manage better than them. I think his liberalism uh, reveals kind of a growing restlessness that uh, should have been really pretty much expunged already. Henry Kissinger was never invited. He was not liked. Nobody in the Reagan administration wanted anything to do with him. There are personal and there are temperamental reasons for that. But I want to end with this. When Ronald Reagan became president and started aggressively dismantling the communism, beginning with the Warsaw Pact, now, this was a nuclear confrontation that had both conventional and unconventional proxies in it. Henry Kissinger was nowhere, was nowhere to be found from 1980 on. And that tells me everything you need to know about the value or the limited value of Henry Kissinger's ideas of statesmanship. My name is William Holland, and this is the William Holland Radio Program Live from Connecticut.